Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast episode 102. I am so excited for today's conversation all about how to best prepare to become a business owner in the future. I, like so many of us, never ever thought that I would own my own company, own my own business, have the flexibility of setting my own hours and also the responsibility of hustling for my own paycheck, (laughs) which I think sums up the pros and cons of being your own boss in some ways. But today's episode was inspired by a really awesome listener who called in and shared an experience that I think a lot of us can relate to, which is wanting to set themselves up to start their own business, being a couple of years away from making that happen or being able to make that happen, but wondering what the hell we can do to even explore such a thing when there's a lot of fear, internal and external, a lot of naysayers that we might run into and come across on this journey, not to mention a lot of responsibilities that we have in this world, bills we've got to pay, rent or a mortgage that we have to make sure we're not missing. And for some of our listeners little mouths to feed, and not that much money left over to talk about fueling your passions into a profitable business. So today's guest, who you're going to meet in just a second, is a incredible woman with an incredible story to share that really sheds light on how she went from being a teenage mom, a teenage runaway, a survivor of domestic abuse and violence, to running a multi-million dollar company and exactly what that transformation looked like with children in tow the entire time and giving us a really candid take on what it looks like to go from thinking there's no way in hell I could ever start my own business to putting the micro steps in place to make it happen. So today's episode is a great one. I think it's something we all need to hear and we definitely need to share with those of us in our circle who've ever dreamt of becoming their own boss, of starting their own thing, and aren't sure where to begin, or there's just a lot of bullshit information out there (laughs) that feels really intimidating. So if you want a really step-by-step, honest approach, this conversation ahead is going to help break that down. Now, before I jump into today's episode, I also want to share with you another amazing resource for anyone who perhaps is already in their own side hustle or has started their own small business or has thought about doing that in the public speaking arena. Because I just wrapped up my first 2019 trainer certification program here in Denver last weekend, and I'm gearing up for our next one in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, March 24th which is my day-long program that I spend with entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and people who have a message they want to share with the world. 
because I want to share with you every single thing I've learned about how to become a paid public speaker. I think everyone's business model could benefit from an added revenue stream of public speaking. And there are way too many white dudes who are still (laughs) occupying all of these keynote speaker slots at conferences and in company boardrooms across the nation. Over the past few years, I have traveled all over the country and internationally to share the Bostep message, not only with bootcamp attendees at Bostep Bootcamp, but also with companies in the tech, finance, and legal space, with national conferences that run the gamut across industries that are all focused on and committed to empowering women and fighting for gender equality. But understanding the process of how I got there through really developing your own personal brand, understanding the principles behind designing curriculum for adult learners, really honing your storytelling skills and your public speaking skills more generally, as well as understanding the basics of the business behind public speaking, all that took a while for me to figure out. And now it's become the vast majority of revenue that I generate every single year. It's a huge part of what I do, and it is the craft that I am committed to mastering with the rest of my life. So especially this year, since I joined the National Speakers Association, I feel like I've really gained some insight and knowledge as to how the pros are doing it and what it looks like to be 30 to 40 paid gigs a year. It's amazing. But even if you've never been paid for any public speaking and you want to learn how to land your first gig or develop your message and just figure out what it would look like to share your own story from the stage, that is the training for you. And that is the entry point to an ongoing trainer team of practitioners and service providers and badass women entrepreneurs who I keep up with and keep bossing with in sort of a mastermind style group that we continue to collaborate with each other and continue to train with one another on a quarterly basis. So if that's of interest to you, my next training is coming up once again in Washington, D.C. on Sunday, March 24th. It's all day. And you can apply to join me right now at bossedup.org slash trainer team. Space is limited and I have no idea when I'll have time to squeeze in another one of these later in the year, probably not for a couple of quarters. So if this is something you're interested in doing, don't delay. Apply today at bossedup.org slash trainer team. All right, now it's time for us to jump into today's topic, which is a timely one for anyone who's ever dreamt of starting their own thing. Let's kick things off by first hearing from Penny, who called in with this fantastic career conundrum. Hey, Emily. My name's Penny. I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and I have a career conundrum. So I'm currently in grad school working on my master's in social work. I love the job I have now as a basically a traveling therapist. I work with at-risk children who are involved in children use cases. However, what I would like to do in the future is to own my own counseling business. I really want to provide um, a safe space for women to come and talk about the way that they're uniquely affected by trauma. And I'm really interested and um, passionate about obstetric violence and things of that nature. So my question is, I just started my MSW program, and I have about three years left to go. I'm going part-time since I work full-time and have kids. Since my goal is to one day own my own business, what can I do now to prepare for that? Is it more just building relationships with people in the community, or are there concrete steps I can take to make that dream a reality, knowing that I want to do it now and, and having so much time? I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. 
Penny, I so appreciate you calling in with this excellent career conundrum because your story really reminds me of one of my longtime pals, a bossed up supporter really since the very beginning back in, I want to say 2014, Andrea and I actually teamed up to host a couple bossed up boot camps together in Boston, Massachusetts, where she calls home. And her company, Bar and Soul, was gracious enough to host us for our Sunday morning fitness class. And she's spoken at boot camp. She's the founder and CEO of Bar and Soul, a boutique chain of innovative yoga and bar studios that are expanding by the minute and a keynote speaker. Hint, hint to all my aspiring speakers. It's definitely a thing that you should add to your revenue stream. So let's talk more about that. And Andrea's had the honor of sharing the stage with both Michelle Obama and Billie Jean King. She's journeyed from being a teen single mom, a former stripper, a domestic violence and poverty survivor, to being the creator of a multi-million dollar business. Her studios were recently awarded the prestigious Best of Boston Award in 2018. So how did she do that? Well, she created one key mindset shift that created a massive snowball effect, propelling her from one powerful achievement to another. Andrea is sharing her story in her forthcoming book, Own It All, and on the Own It All podcast, where she interviews a different person every week about how they're owning it all in one domain of their life. And she's here to tell us a little bit about her story today and shed some light on this great question from Penny. So Andrea Isabel Lucas, thank you so much for being here, boss. Thank you so much for having me. So Penny here has got a very interesting career conundrum that made me think of you for a lot of different reasons. First and foremost, because you've got a kick-ass, crazy successful business. Can you first tell us a little bit about Bar & Soul? Yeah, I would love to. So Bar & Soul is based out of Boston, where I live. I have five locations, and we are a bar, fitness, and yoga studio with several locations around New England. We also have an online bar teacher training now called Bar Guild Academy. The communities are amazing. We are really driven by feminist values and our classes are based in the roots of the original Lottie Burke technique. I've actually studied in England with the daughter of Lottie Burke who invented bar. Her daughter, Esther Fairfax, is now 84 and she's my mentor. That is so wonderful. And I'm always impressed by entrepreneurial women who have made their vision a reality on such a grand scale like yours. I mean, we're talking multi-million dollar business, right? Yes. So how have you, over the past 10 years, really seen yourself transition into this role as boss entrepreneur with children like Penny? If you could tell us a little bit about your beginnings and some of the stories that you might share with your readers in your forthcoming book, Own It All, about how you made this happen. I think I surprised myself more than anything. Um, If I really look back over the last 10 years, I would say like Penny has such a head start from where I was when I started that I can't even believe how successful she will be and probably how fast because she already knows what she wants in advance and she's like already getting prepared for it. Right. I really fell into teaching bar as a part-time job while I was trying to figure out what I was really going to do with my life. I was going through a divorce. I was just trying to actually finish my bachelor's degree because I, I do have two kids. I actually had my son when I was 19 and then my daughter later when I was 26. But 
that caused me to finish you know, my college degree much later. And I was in the midst of transitioning to women's studies because I was getting really passionate about feminist issues. And I thought, I've got to go into academia and be a professor so that I can really say something, be part of the conversation, like impact women, publish books. And I had this epiphany one day when I was taking a bar class and I was like, oh my God, like this has been so transformational for my life. And what if this was actually really my career? What if this was the platform? What if I didn't need to be in this academic setting to be spreading a message of feminism and women's empowerment and looking around myself, I've got 20 women in this room. I see them multiple times a week. Think of the ripple effect that that could be. So that's really what got me um, to embrace bar as my career. And I want to ask you a little bit about the connection between physical strength and mental strength. Because for me, when I was completely at my rock bottom moment, when I was burnt out and felt detached from a sense of agency over my life, when I didn't feel like I was owning it all at all, I was also in the worst shape of my life. And I didn't have a relationship with my own physicality that was very kind at the time. And what I found interesting was that there was almost this prerequisite to taking better care of myself, to regarding myself physically and emotionally with more kindness that left me more mentally strong as a byproduct. Did you experience that same kind of connection between with physical strength came mental strength? Absolutely. And it's funny, I don't know if you've read any of, I think his name's Yuval Noah Harari, any of his books. He wrote a book, Sapiens, so fascinating. It's the history of the humankind. It was very cool. I was reading his latest book and he keeps saying again and again, humans have bodies. And it's just like, You know, my mind gets blown every time I think about that because we act like we are just these floating psyches, these like disembodied minds. And that's just not the reality. No matter how cool your online profile is or how many (laughs) likes you get or how many friends or followers or even how many like downloads your podcast gets, like you're living inside of a body. And if you think you can live your life without living an embodied life, you're never going to feel good. Mm. And so I think that's just a huge disconnect that we have. Mm. And you don't get it till you get it. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. And I think a lot of people have that experience that you're talking about where it's like, God, I feel so crappy. And then you start to get physically stronger. You start to get in shape and it's like, wow, I can't believe this is what I was missing out on. And I think that was really my experience was, you know, I started going to those classes thinking like, I actually started going um, when I was pregnant with my daughter and I was thinking I should do something to try to stay in shape. And then after I had her, you know, my body kind of wasn't feeling like me anymore. And I wanted to start going more and more, but God, every time I left there, I felt so good. And then I think I started to amaze myself when I saw the transformation. And I think that's the thing is when you see yourself physically transforming and you feel how good that feels, you realize that you're capable of things that had never occurred to you before. It's just so empowering. I've heard it described as that sort of carryover confidence that when you can take Mm -hmm. a big goal, like in my case, it was training for a half marathon, which I thought was an insane, lofty, wild ambition and break down something so wildly ambitious into actionable, practical steps that confidence that you get from cognitively chunking it down can carry over into mm-hmm. lots of other domains and made me feel a lot more risk tolerant and capable of starting my own business and doing all kinds of things and holding the people in my life to a higher standard, right? 
That's incredible. And you know what? Most people wouldn't connect a half marathon with starting your own business or something like that. But the thing of it is, I love that you're talking about risk tolerance. And that's really my answer to how did I go from having an epiphany in, yeah. you know, on my mat in bar class to having a multi-million dollar business. It was baby steps and it was building that risk tolerance. And I completely agree that the thing with confidence is that yes, positive affirmations are great. Sure. I know some people really swear by them. I don't personally. I cannot talk myself into confidence and I don't think most people can either. You have to prove it to yourself. And you know how you prove it to yourself is by doing things you don't know if you can do. Things that, you know, are confronting, are scary, are risky, and that you have to earn that self-confidence by doing. What did that look like for you in the very beginning? Well, you know, it probably looked very unglamorous and unimpressive in the beginning, right? Because I didn't just like fly out of the gates and start opening up, you know, locations. So what it looked like for me was being a trainee. And, you know, here I was in a very much a rock bottom place, like what you described and feeling really not confident. I was not in a good place financially. I felt like a failure because I was just going through a divorce. I felt like all these women in the studio seemed to have these like I always say they look like they came out of the J. Crew catalog. It's just like everything looked so perfect. And I thought, what do I have to teach them? Who wants to hear from me? And, you know, I used to try to practice getting my words out even when no one was around. And the, there was a voice in my head so loud saying, just shut up, just shut up. Like it was so hard for me, even just to choke out my words in front of anybody initially. So what that looked like was like actually standing up in front of say two people and teaching a mock class and just getting my words out. Like that was a tremendous amount of, you know, courage at the time. And then continuing to come to class and seeing my physical strength improve and, you know, continuing to speak up until eventually teaching the classes started to be a little less scary. And then even like a little bit fun. And then it was approaching a shiny, sexy brand in Boston for a job there coming from a small studio in the suburbs. And then it was applying for a management position Mm -hmm. there. And then eventually was going out on my own to be an entrepreneur, which was not... It's not the way I saw myself. I thought entrepreneurs were rich people with trust funds or you know, wealthy family or husband or whatever. I really thought you had to have a lot of money sitting in the bank to have your own business because you had to be able to float, you know, any number of months worth of expenses. Right. And how I started was by just being like a freelance teacher, basically. It was letting go the management part of my job, which was very secure and taking on just being a freelance teacher. And then it was, okay, wait, what if I start this program, but I run it out of someone else's space so I don't have to have the overhead. And then it was like getting a team trained and working underneath me as subcontractors. And then it was like me approaching somebody to do the same thing out of their space and having them say, actually, I haven't told anyone, but I'm moving and I'm really looking to sell the studio. I'll finance it to you. And then from there, just snowballed into the next studio and the next studio until there was five. You know, what's so interesting is this reminds me of the practice that we talk a lot about here at Boss Up, which is lift as you climb. And a lot of times people interpret that as me saying, as I'm striving, I want to carry you forward so that you can keep striving too. But another way I look at that is it sounds like what you did was you kept learning your craft. You kept practicing getting better at what you were doing as well as turning around and teaching others. So it it wasn't like, oh, all of a sudden I'm qualified to be a teacher. I'm done learning. You stayed a student. It sounds like you've remained a student in your practice and in your craft still today, but that doesn't mean we don't have something to share with others about how far we've come or what we've learned along the way, right? 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. And in fact, I knew I wanted my own studio. I knew that was my dream. I didn't know how I could ever afford it or anything like that. But I had an opportunity to take over the studio that I was originally trained at, at the same time that I was eligible for that management position at the Sexy Studio in Boston. And it was amazing crossroads because I had just finished my bachelor's degree. I was, you know, deciding what was next in my life. And even though I knew for sure I wanted my own studio, I wasn't feeling ready. I didn't feel ready to not be guaranteed a paycheck. I didn't think I had enough credentials yet. I did not feel like I had enough to really back up me being a studio owner yet at that. Sometimes we I feel like we're waiting for permission for some (laughs) some higher being to say Yes, you are entitled to teach other people. Yes, you are entitled to have the audacity of sharing your opinion in a world that's going to critique it. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I mean, leaving that management job to finally do start my own studio. And I do think I, at the time, it was the right decision to take the management job because I wanted to gain more experience and getting to run a studio for a really high-end company was so helpful. And it had a little bit of a short shelf life because I was an entrepreneur and I needed to have a more creative outlet. But I absolutely could have stayed there a really long time if I didn't happen to see a piece of street art that said, if you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. And I realized like, Uh, well, they're not going to tell me like, hey, get the hell out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Go start your own business. Well, it sounds like the takeaway for Penny in this is that she's already on the right track, right? Because she's already practicing her craft. She is a traveling therapist as a part of her grad program. She's working time. So Penny, I would challenge you to really do what Andrea's doing here, which was learning all you can from your day job and think about how you would change it, make it better, or do the same thing someday when you have the opportunity to run your own organization. Because we can learn something from every job we have, even those that we know has a short shelf life. Oh God. Yeah. And just have that mentality of like, I'm going to use this job to make me great. And I'm going to be so great by the time I go out on my own. But what I also love, Penny, that you're doing is you're already talking about what you want to create. You're already telling people because that's so brave. And a lot of people have their tail between their legs and they don't want to admit that they want their own business. And not only are you just crushing it with going to school and having this job and raising your kids, but like you already know what you want and you're bold enough to say that out loud. So to me, like there's really no question that this is already like, going to happen. <laughs> it's happening. It's like it's already happening. There is a sense of inevitability that comes, I think, sometimes with articulating your vision. And it's funny because I remember describing the feeling as feeling really crazy inducing. Like I really felt like I was a bit unhinged when I started articulating the business I wanted to start because it wasn't here yet. Who was I to think that this grand vision was possible. And I read Built to Last by Jerry Porras and Jim Collins. And it's one of the business school basics of the importance of having a clear and audacious vision and articulating that unabashedly, even well before it's possible. Like we should put a man on the moon or a woman on the moon, or, (laughs) you know, we should have a personal computer for everyone on every desk. Like those clear, audacious goals can go a really long way. But we live in a world that tells women that if you dare to dream and God forbid, dare to dream out loud, that makes you somehow full of yourself, right? 
Absolutely. And the thing is, there will be naysayers and you have to kind of be prepared for that. Like some people are going to tell you it's not happening. But if you say it enough to enough people, you find the people who will tell you what you actually want to hear. And you want to surround yourself with those people because you could live out either reality. You know what I mean? So true. And I think it's important to have a positive expectation and The more you say things out loud, there is a sense of accountability where you're like, I better back this up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But also it starts to seem real. I mean, if you think about this, this is a little heady, but say, you know, you you just made a big move cross country to Colorado, right? And, you know, you were moving to Colorado way before you put your stuff in the vehicle and actually set out. It was real as soon as you made the announcement. And so I think there's something to be said for that. We live, we're very language-based beings. So like when things start to exist in language, in your network, they start to become real. So let's talk about the other reality of entrepreneurship that Penny and others might want to think about, which you've touched upon already. And that's the financial piece. What was it about your background that made you feel like this was only accessible to other rich people? And how did you overcome that mindset? Well, I never had a lot of money growing up. And after, you know, having my son at age 19 and going out on my own and having my own apartment, I mean, the only way that I could afford to support myself and my son independently was to work in a strip club. Like, and that's something that I own really actually quite proudly because really I can look back now and see what a entrepreneur I was even then and what a hustler that I was, that I was able to like always find the path that was going to get me that next leg up. Like climbing is such a good analogy. And it was a great initial first, you know, few steps in my path that that helped get me taken care of financially so that I could, you know, move forward. There's not too many books on the shelf about here's an empowering entrepreneur's tale that starts in a strip club, right? So how do you feel like owning that story and that part of your life? And how does that connect to the message you're trying to share with other women? Well, it feels scary. It feels vulnerable. It feels really important. I think that most women have things about themselves that they feel that they need to hide because it's weird. People wouldn't like it. I'm not like other people and I should be ashamed. And so I think every time you own something, I mean, I don't enjoy when I introduce myself on a panel and I say that I'm a domestic violence survivor. I'm so sick of talking about being a domestic violence survivor. I really am over it at this point, air quotes (laughs) over it. I'm as over it as I'm going to get, but yeah, I'm so done with talking about it, but I'm not because somebody in that audience needs to look and see, oh my God, she's a a domestic violence survivor too. And she's doing well and look, she's happy and look, she's successful. And maybe I can have that too. So I think it's important that we get real and share our stories, but you know, I didn't have family money. I didn't have a big fat bank account being a single mom. I mean, I was on food stamps at many points throughout my twenties. So you know, even being able to afford like a gym membership would, was a challenge or my own rent, let alone this commercial space that God forbid, because yeah. it wasn't like just being a freelancer where you're working from home, which is already scary because you're giving up a regular paycheck, but it was actually signing a lease, having my own space. But I got there through baby steps and that was the important thing. And that's a big yeah. part of my message of my book is just taking the biggest risk that you can stomach today in order to get that next step. It doesn't have to be zero, you know, point A to point Z all at once. Right. And so I think one of Penny's questions that you might be able to shed some light on as well has to do with community because you were clearly already in the space. You were teaching, you were managing another studio. 
when you ventured into taking out this commercial lease and taking this big risk of opening the first Bar and Soul studio, what component did being active in your community play in making that initial couple months successful when it comes to finding clients and finding people who would actually pay you for your services under this brand new brand that you've created? You do have to kind of swallow your pride and just sell yourself. You got to go for it. So, you know, I became a Lululemon ambassador, which I think a lot of people in my industry are like, oh, that, that's something where you have to be picked. So coming back to the idea of waiting for permission, I didn't wait to get picked. I asked. I stalked them. I went out on coffee dates. I talked to them about my goals. I kept saying what I wanted again and again. Like I made it known that I was looking to get my name out there. And I would host free classes or I would have Facebook events and promote the crap out of them and just invite everybody that I know. So, but I also think too, again, it comes back to asking for what you want, getting it out there in your network, getting the conversation going and bouncing it to as many people as possible. You're going to find what, what you're looking for. I didn't have the money or the credit to sign some big fat commercial lease immediately. So instead, I made it known that I was looking to start my own program and that I was looking to partner with studios. And people began matching me with studios that were looking for somebody like me. Cool. So there are ways to take what we think sometimes is this huge, impossible prerequisite, which might not actually be required. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like sometimes we're like, oh, I can't start a business because I need a commercial lease. And then we quit or we give up because we think that's a thing I can never stomach right now. That's a risk I cannot take. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is find an alternative option, find a way forward even if it's not at, you know, pedal to the metal type speed and and keep that speed one that's comfortable for you. I love the idea of what you're alluding to around those free events too, because that's how I started my business. You have to get in front of people. You have to win their trust, right? And it's like getting a room full of people is the, how you begin your business. I could almost envision Penny hosting free community events focused on violence as it impacts women in particular, because that's what she is passionate about, and just providing some outlet, providing some resources, being a connector, right? Being Mm -hmm. someone who's willing to bring people together who are in need of support and match them with support, even if it's not your own services at the time, right? Like interviewing other people or co-hosting events with other broader brands, like you teamed up with Lululemon, I could almost see her starting her counseling practice before she graduates by starting to build a list, you know, of people who mm-hmm. might be prospective clients down the road. Oh, absolutely. Or places where her prospective clients would be like OBGYN office, yeah. crisis centers, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And making them aware of her capabilities and willingness to help. Yeah. What a great idea. So looking back on it all, what do you think are some of the biggest lessons that you pull out in your book when you're sharing your story as it pertains to how you got from, you know, where you started to where you are today? The biggest message of my book is this one mindset shift that really changed how I was viewing my life. I was really going through my life as a little bit of a a helpless character in a story. Mm. And when bad things happened to me, I really viewed them as outside of my control. And I related to them like a victim. And of course, I was a victim of certain things in my life. So the biggest difference for me started when I decided to take 100% full responsibility for my life and everything that was going to happen from here on out. And just taking full responsibility for where I was, including all of my past, 
in all of my current circumstances. And that's not to say I chose everything that happened to me in the past, although I did take an honest look at what choices I had made that impacted my past. And it's not to say that I was responsible for my current circumstances if I was, you know, dealing with things that I would argue women shouldn't have to deal with that are still happening today, right? right? Like we're all dealing with crap we shouldn't have to. And I decided rather than be pissed about that and blaming those outside factors or circumstances for my whatever was going to happen with my future, I just decided whatever was going to happen in my future, I had to take it upon myself to make that happen. And whatever mess I was in, even if I didn't make it, I was going to be the one to clean it up. And I was going to be the one to say how it was going to go from here on out. Yeah. I like to say a similar kind of mindset by acknowledging systemic injustice, but also acknowledging our ability to be willing to take responsibility as saying, you know, we have to play the cards we've been dealt while we change the game. Because some of us have been handed a really shitty deck of cards to work with, but we can play that deck as best as we possibly can because we are worthy of that best effort. Exactly. Even though we have to really change the game so that people are getting, you know, dealed better cards all around, right? And that's why, to me, owning it all is like not only feeling worthy to have what you most want in your life and giving yourself the life you most want, but to me, owning it all is also taking full responsibility for your legacy. It's leaving things better for others for the future that whatever kind of crap you've had to be dealt doesn't have to happen to the next generation or to the next person. I'm looking here at your podcast description too, because you've recently launched the Own It All podcast, which is an awesome series of interviews with different entrepreneurs primarily on how to own it all, right? And I love this tagline. You say, the Own It All podcast is about how to stop waiting for change and start creating it. And I feel like that's just adding fuel to the fire that Penny's starting in her life and in her ambition. And so many of the Boston Podcast listeners would love to check it out too. So I highly recommend checking out the Own It All podcast. I'll link to it in today's show notes. But what have those conversations been like too? They've been amazing. And it's funny, if they are all entrepreneurs, I didn't notice that and it wasn't on purpose. It's not specifically an entrepreneurial podcast. Maybe that just reflects the people in my network. But no, it's incredible. And usually with each guest, we pick a specific area of your life that they exemplify owning it. And then we just you know, dive deep on that topic and how they own it. And one of my favorite things to ask these women is, can you give us an example of a time when you weren't offered a seat at the table and you decided to take one anyway, or make one, you know, or a time when you realized, holy crap, I'm not getting permission. I'm giving myself permission. And it's so inspiring and empowering to hear them share. And everyone's story is so different, but it's, it's so empowering. Awesome, Andrea. Well, I feel like we've gotten such great nuggets from your life story already. I'm sure that your book is going to be chock full of even more. When can folks pick up the Own It All book? So the publication date is March 15th. It's coming right up and it is available for pre-order now at ownitallbook.com. And if you pre-order, there's some pretty sweet pre-order bonuses. One of the things I love is um, an implementation workbook because every chapter at the end has some really useful exercises so that you can start breaking down the things that I'm covering in the book and figure out how to apply it for yourself. There's also some great meditations on things like not waiting for permission, forgiveness for the past, things like that that are really helpful to just help you on your way forward. 
so exciting, Andrea. I feel like you have been one of the women entrepreneurs in my circle who've like, we've gotten to see each other rise. You know what I mean? Over the past five, six years that we've been in each other's orbit, whether it was like the time I profiled you on Forbes and shared your story that way in my leadership column back when I was doing that, all the way to partnering with us for a Boss Step Bootcamp, which I so appreciated your generosity on. And now here we both are with books coming out. Feels like we're, we're on the right track, don't you think? <laughs> I can't wait to read your book too. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Likewise, I remember, what was it, two years ago, we were talking about, oh my God, how the hell am I going to get this book out in the world? <laughs> Yeah. And it did. It was about two years ago. I think I started January 2017. Yeah. I'm not sure about you. Yeah. It's been a while. It's a pain in the ass, <laughs> but it's here. Yay. <laughs> it's here. And it's all going to be worth it because I, I can only imagine the impact it's going to have when so many others are inspired by your story in yet another wonderful medium. So thank you for sharing it with us here, Andrea. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And now it's time for today's boss move moment of the week. Hey, Emily, this is Adrienne calling from Montreal. My boss move this year was sticking through a hella toxic, hella difficult temporary contract so that I could afford law school and moving to a new city, studying a field that I love with people that I love in a new place that I am just flourishing in. I am so excited to see what 2019 has in store for me. I'm so excited to continue my journey towards becoming a jurist, and I'm just in such a good place right now, and that feels fabulous. Thanks so much for sharing, boss. I am so proud to hear of your achievements and so grateful for you to calling it in. Honestly, the more positively we talk about ourselves and our achievements in an unabashed public way like this the more we make it okay for other women to do the same. And like I always say, you never know who you're inspiring when you dare to share your come up story. So if you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want me to break down on the podcast next, give my hotline a ring and leave your message at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. In the meantime, if you know someone who could benefit from the real talk that just went down between Andrea and I, it would be such an honor if you would share this episode with the women in your world who you know could benefit from it. It's really the ultimate compliment, and I so appreciate it every single time you tag me online and share this work, right? Share what we're up to. It's the highest form of compliment you can pay me and a great way to pay it forward and lift as you climb. Once again, if you are interested in learning more about the Bossed Up Trainer Certification Program, which is all about how to become a paid public speaker in any domain, but also it happens to be the foray into becoming a Bossed Up Certified Trainer and someone that I collaborate with and work with on a more ongoing basis, you can learn more about that in the show notes at bossedup.org slash trainer team, where you can apply to join us later this month on Sunday, March 24th, when I'll be in D.C., in the meantime, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it. 
Speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.